God's call for ordinary people in everyday life. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 today. You know, while you're opening, let me just uh, reinforce, I really appreciated Ken emphasizing that Ryan and I want this series, especially this series, to be a dialogue with you. So I want to encourage you to text in questions. You can do it right in the middle of the service if they come to your mind. Uh, we'll try to get to those later on. Either we'll put the answers in the middle of a sermon, perhaps, or it'll even help direct us to what to emphasize in the coming weeks. Um, and uh, each week, when I get up here, I want to try to also, if I've gotten some really good questions, I may just answer them on the spot. So while you're turning to 2 Corinthians 5, let me give you two questions that, were, that came in via our life groups this past week. Uh, a question that came in actually from Matt and Page's life group, I think, was this. It says, hey, Dale, what do you mean by ordinary? Is that a negative thing? It sounds kind of negative. You know, God's call for ordinary people in their everyday life. Let me clear that one up real quick. When I use the word ordinary people, that is not a derogatory term. I realize you are extraordinary, okay? Would you look at the person next to you and say, you look extraordinary? Okay, now, you're lying, but anyway, okay, yeah. Okay, so all of us, well, I even got a kiss over here on my right. We need a kiss cam, anyway. But, but the reality is, yeah, you know, the reality is, uh, yeah, I think in Christ we can live extraordinary lives. But when we use the word ordinary, we just mean normal. Normal people, in other words, not people that are like professionally paid to be Christians, okay? In other words, like it's not talking about missionaries and pastors or, or you know, everyone knows a few Christians that are just kind of wired to always be sharing Christ and talking about their faith and they kind of make the rest of us feel guilty that we don't do it so much. This is not for those people. We're talking about the everyday life of the everyday follower of Jesus. So, if you thought ordinary felt a little below you, that's not the case, all right? It's, um, it's for everyone. Second question came in in my life group, and that was someone asked this. They said, hey, Dale, we want to go, but the question was this. I'll pop it up. What about when my primary go place is work, and it doesn't allow me to talk about my faith? In fact, I could get fired, get in trouble talking about my faith at work. So we had a great discussion in our life group. And if you're, use your life group time to, to bounce around your questions. Here's my short answer to this. And we're going to, this one's so important, we're going to do a whole sermon on this later in the series. But here's my short answer. I said, number one, it's always okay to love. Okay, so be the nicest person in the workplace. Be the person that cares. Have more compassion. Show the love of Christ where you are. Number two is do your best. You know, Scripture talks about do your best as unto the Lord. So whatever your job is, I mean, whether, whether you're an engineer or a doctor or a janitor, it doesn't matter. If you do it as if you're doing it for Christ, it's going to up the quality of your work. And that's going to be a great, uh, that lays a great foundation for your faith. Number two is just be a friend. Look to build intentional friendships. Uh, I think a lot of times we as Christians spend too much time in our own little Christian huddles kind of jumping from this church service to this Bible study to this thing. And it's like we're afraid to just hang out there in the world where God has placed us. So go out of your way to be friendly. And then the final word I would give is listen. Before you even think about talking about your faith, ask people about their lives. Just be a listener. Most people I know like to talk about themselves. They love to tell you about their life. And, and even perhaps eventually say, you know something, kind of where, where, you, where have you come from spiritually? Uh, you know, I think at least in my life, I've kind of had a spiritual journey. Kind of, I'd love to know more about yours and see if God doesn't 
use that to open opportunities for deeper conversations. But then take those deeper conversations over coffee, over lunch, after work, uh, instead of on the job. And I think you'll find a lot of uh, that may help you. So there's my short answer. We'll talk about it more later in the series. Let's pray. Let's pray as we go to God's word. Today, what's it mean to go as an ambassador? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that we discover in it. Thank you for the fact that you uh, want to give meaning to our lives. You want to breathe real meaning and purpose, significance into our everyday world. And I pray today you help us figure out uh, one more little piece of the puzzle to how to make that our everyday reality. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every week when I start planning for the message of the morning, I have to struggle with how am I going to introduce this? And normally I've got no shortage of ideas on introduction of a message. Uh, I would tell you, as Ryan would, that really you kind of develop the entire meat of the message and then you think, all right, in light of teaching that, how do I start? I've got to tell you, this week I was brain dead. I mean, I went all week long struggling to find the answer to that. And can I, true confession time, I wrote my introduction. The rest of the sermon was done earlier in the week. The introduction got written this morning. I got up about 5 o'clock and spent some time with God, spent some time thinking about the message, and I just wasn't happy with the introduction. And, and, and I did something that I probably shouldn't have done, but it worked. <laughs> so I did it. So I'll tell you the story. If it didn't work, I wouldn't tell you. I have a lot of those stories too. What I did was I took my um, iPad, I picked it up, held the button down, and I heard that nice, sweet female voice called Siri. So Siri came on and said, what can I do for you? And I thought about asking her to write my sermon introduction, but that wasn't specific enough. So here's what I said. I said this. I said, Siri, what's the purpose of my life? And she immediately went, you know, bling, and she came on and she said, hmm, let me think about that. <laughs> and she hesitated. And I thought, Siri, you are copping out on me. I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it. And then, she, and then she says, here's what I found about my purpose in life. And she filled the page with web links to different websites about the purpose of my life. So I thought, okay, if I ask, I've got to follow her lead, right? So I went to the very first, number one recommendation from Siri was actually an article from a book. And the article was this. The title of the article was, How to Discover Your, purpose, your Life Purpose in 20 Minutes. So I thought, well, I don't have 20 minutes, but let me at least jump into this real quick. So I jumped into it, and as I started to read, it was a fascinating article. The guy was not coming from a Christian worldview or perspective, I'll tell you that. It's not a Christian article now, but, but here's what he said. He said, number one, take out a blank piece of paper. Number two, write, what is my true purpose? Question mark. Number three, write whatever phrase comes to your mind. Number four. Repeat this process over and over again, writing new phrases until one makes you cry and you've discovered your purpose in life. Now, I'm not endorsing this, nor deny, okay, I'm not endorsing this for all of you to run home and do this, but you know, when I thought about that a little more, I thought, you know, there might just be a little bit of wisdom in that. Now, the author of the article said that it took him 106 phrases 
before he finally hit on what brought tears to his eyes. So that's 20 minutes, how to discover your purpose in life. And then if you don't find it there, then Siri took me to Kabbalah and a few other weird places that I didn't want to go. So in terms of different philosophies of life and, and where to go to discover this. So the bottom line is, Siri, you know, Siri kind of struck out on me. So I thought, I want to take one more pass at it and see if anything pops up. So here's what I said next. I rephrased it. I thought she probably didn't understand what I meant. And here's the second question I ask. Siri, where can I learn about the meaning of my life? Question mark. And this time she didn't even hesitate. She immediately filled the screen with my schedule from my to-do list and my meetings. And she said to me, she responded, she said, okay, here's, here's where I can learn about the meeting of my life. And she filled the page with all my meetings and to-do activities from my own schedule. See, she had misunderstood that one word. She had changed the word, where can I find the meaning of my life? And she heard me say, where can I find the meetings of my life? And she was quick on it, didn't even have to think. And as I reflected on that, I thought, bingo, there's my intro. Because what Siri gave me was my busyness. And I think a lot of times, in reality, I can define my existence and define my meaning by my meetings, by my to-do list. In other words, all of us, if we're not careful, can, can find or try to find our meaning in just the things that we do. And I think that's a mistake. Now, life has a list. Your life has a list. My life has a list. In fact, what Siri brought up were 10 items. She said, here are your 10 meetings and to do activities for tomorrow. And she brought up 10 things that are in my calendar for me to do or to attend tomorrow in one day. All of us have a list like that. We have people to see, projects to finish, jobs that have to get done. But today's passage, I believe, is going to show us that you can actually discover your real meaning or purpose in the midst of those meetings. In other words, how do I discover a purpose that God has for me that I can bring that purpose into the meetings of life, into my to-do list, into all of the activities that make up my day on Monday? And that's the passage we're going to study. So let's go there. Here we go. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Listen to the Word of God because as we say, before you go, before you try to be Christ in your world, keep asking the questions that we raised last week. Who am I? Why am I? What does God want me to do? Where do I do it? How do I do it? Remember those questions of identity. Listen to the word of God and we'll answer a few of those questions. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so automatically it includes what? Anyone. Anybody excluded? Raise your hand. All right, if anyone is in Christ, if you've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. You're a new creature, new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, you wonder what in the world's that? A ministry of reconciliation. I want to define it. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and now he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, here's how it changes my identity. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf on the cross so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Now we'll pull up right there and we'll go into chapter 6 a little bit in a few minutes. But let's look at the passage and ask the question again, where do I find meaning in life? Who am I? Why am I? Number one, who am I? What is my new identity in this passage? Now last week we learned some identity words. Last week we learned that our key identity, Matthew chapter 28, was as what? What was the key word for identity? Go into all the world and make disciples. Very good. Make disciples of all men. So we're about making disciples, being disciples who are reproducing ourselves, making other disciples. That's our identity. You are a disciple, follower of Jesus. Today, the key word in the passage seems to be this idea of an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. Now, when you hear the idea of someone being, well, you are an ambassador for the king or the ambassador for your country, what are some things that, that, that should be true of you as an ambassador? Just give me a word or a phrase. Help me out. Some responsibility. An ambassador takes their responsibility seriously. Representative. representative. Okay, so they're representative. Do they just represent themselves? No, they represent who? The nation. The nation. They represent the nation, the king, or the kingdom that sends them. So they have high responsibility. They serve as a representative of another nation. Somebody else? Outgoing. Outgoing. Yeah, you better not be an introvert that never, you know, uncomfortable totally talking to people. Although, there's probably some ambassadors that are kind of quiet and more introverted. So you can probably pull it off, but you're going to have to interact with people, right? You're going to have to get out and connect to the world. Connect to what world? Where's ambassadors? Where's the ambassador going to live? He's going to live in a foreign nation. So he's not going to be the ambassador and live in the U.S. and just kind of make phone calls, is he? He's going to go and he's going to live and engage in the culture that he is sent to, but yet he's a representative of another culture, of another land, of another nation. So, you know, that's, that's the essence. This is a highly esteemed job. You know, and especially in that day when kings would send emissaries or representatives to another country they knew who they represented. They weren't there to uh, please necessarily uh, the, the, the people. They want to get along with them. They want to connect with them. They want to be a good, uh, a good um, example or testimony of what a representative, let's say, of the U.S. is if you are the ambassadors to the Philippines or, or to this country. That country doesn't matter. So he says we should think of ourselves now as ambassadors for Christ. Now, to pull off being an ambassador you got to have three things that I see in the passage. Number one, it says, it begins with, you are a new person. So you have a new life in Christ. He says, if any man be in Christ, verse 17, he is a new creation. 
Old things pass away, new things have come. So it doesn't mean you're perfect, but you are changing into a person that can be a, a positive example for your king. You're a new person. Secondly, you're not just a new person, you have experienced something that you're representing. In this case, it says we have been reconciled. All these things are from God who reconciled us, verse 18, to himself through Christ. So we are reconciled to Christ. So we have peace with God. That's what reconciled really means. It's to be brought from a point of enmity or strife or conflict between two parties to bringing them together in peace. So you have reconciled with God. Or reconciliation is a great uh, little Greek word. It's used six times in the Bible. Uh, it's used twice here. It's used a couple times in Romans. Then it's used in 1 Corinthians 7. Now it's interesting though, it, it, all of those help me kind of understand what it means. Uh, in Romans, for example, it says, therefore, chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore, uh, having been justified by faith, that is when you put your faith in Christ, having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through Christ. Uh, down in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it goes into more depth, and it talks about that although we were once his enemies, now we are reconciled to him. We are friends with God. You have a friendship with God. You're at peace with God because, why? Because he says, verse 19 of today's passage, look, down, look at it. Namely, he's reconciled the world to Christ, but namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them or their sins against them. So I know my sins are forgiven. Not only are my sins forgiven, I have received the kind of the royalty of Jesus. Look at verse 21. I want you to see this incredible exchange that takes place in verse 21. He says, therefore, we're ambassadors of Christ. Um, why? Because he made him, verse 21, who knew no sin, referring to Jesus. He made Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless, to go to the cross and to be sin on our behalf. So Jesus' death on the cross, he literally takes my sin, your sin, the sins of the world on himself. He pays the penalty for their sins, for our sins. So we are now able to be in a relationship with the Heavenly Father when he says we become so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. It's an amazing exchange. I mean, what a deal. Jesus says, give me all your sin, and we give him our sin. He dies for it, pays the penalty for it. And he says, but we're not just left relating to God as sinless individuals. That's only half of the story. He then says, all right, let me take your sin, and here, you have my righteousness. So when you think of Jesus, when you think of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that is given to you. What would you do to deserve that? Answer? Nothing. That's what grace does. So grace takes care of eliminating our sin, but it also gives us this, this position before God of as he loves us as if, as if we were Jesus, even though we're not. That's a great exchange. And that is at the heart of this new peace that I have with God. That's incredible. Number three, therefore I have a new perspective. My new perspective now is that this planet is not my home. That even though I live here daily, and I live and work and hang out, and I, 
and I own a home in a neighborhood and, and I go to school and I, my kids are here and there. Even though this is the world I'm functioning in, I am like an ambassador of a foreign country living in a foreign land. And this planet at this time is my foreign land, not my home. So my home, my citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Now, when did that happen? It happens automatically as soon as you come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me give you a cross-reference. In fact, let's read it together. It's one of my favorite verses. Colossians 1.13. Let's read out loud. Right here we go. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So I'm forgiven But I'm not just forgiven, I'm a citizen of a different kingdom. Jesus is my king. The kingdom of Jesus Christ, his beloved son, the kingdom of God is my kingdom. And I am on assignment to planet Earth. Now that's kind of a different way in which most of us think about ourselves, right? Because most of us, you come out of the womb and you think, okay, I am Dale, I am of the kingdom of West Virginia. Okay, I grew up there, it's a whole separate nation. Have you heard of it? Anyway. Not quite. But, you know, so so my identity would be I am the son of my father, Hebron, and my mother, Maxine. I am a citizen of and and a resident of West Virginia. And then I moved to California, and now I I am a citizen of California into a strange land of fruits and nuts. And, 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 but, you know, but I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I love California, and I love Californians. But, but I was transferred from West Virginia to California. But, but the point is this. When college football season rolls around, which flag do I fly outside of my home? Answer? West Virginia. <laughs> Ellen, which flag do you fly? Tennessee, right? Right. Yeah, the home of bourbon and moonshine. You know, so... so so that's Ellen's identity. That's why she is the way she is. And you've got to love that. By the way, there's no hillbillies in West Virginia, only mountaineers. Understand? <laughs> hillbillies are across the river in Kentucky, okay? So, so anyway, so I've I, I got a little bit of an identity crisis going on right now. But sometimes we change where we live, but we still kind of feel loyal to our homeland. Even something as silly as moving from one state to another. See, how much more significant to realize that when you come into a relationship with Jesus, whereas you used to be doing this with God, now you're you're one with God. You're at peace with God. You're totally forgiven, totally loved. You're a child of God. And you're a citizen of an eternal spiritual kingdom, the kingdom of God. But now God says, I got an idea. I'm not jerking you up to live in my kingdom yet. For now, I need you to live in this foreign land called planet Earth. But you're going to be my personal, royal, chosen ambassador. You represent Jesus in this land. See, that changes my perspective on who I am and why I'm here. You see, it doesn't just affect who I am. It begins to affect how I think about why I am or my sense of purpose. 
So my new identity now as an ambassador, royal representative of the kingdom of God in my everyday world of all those meetings that Siri found on my calendar. I'm now the ambassador of Christ. So how does that affect not just who I am, but why I am? My sense of purpose. Well, as I go into my everyday life, here's the key phrase. Pick it up with me again in verse 18. I'm a new creation. Therefore, I'm reconciled to God through Christ. And it says, God who reconciled, verse 18, us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He comes back to it later in verse 19. And he says, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation is in our possession. In fact, when he says he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, the word could be uh, translated in Greek, he laid upon us, he placed upon us the word of reconciliation, the message, the gospel, the good news. Because I tell you something, everybody who lives and is born, at some point in their life, they wonder, is there a God? And if he is there, what does he think of me? And I guarantee you, if they never think that when they're born or as they're living, they think it as they're dying. Because they think, you know, what if I'm wrong? Death is real. So far, the mortality rate for Americans, you know what it's running? 100%. Yeah, it's running 100%. The only thing that changes is the exact age in which the average person takes that final breath. So with that in mind, what great assignment could you have? What could be more significant to bring meaning and to breathe significance into my to-do list and my list of meetings on Monday through Friday than to think every meeting I'm in, I sit there and yes, I'm Dale, and yes, uh, I represent who I work for, Seacoast, or you represent a company that pays you to be there. So you're on the job, and you're doing your job uh, even better, hopefully, because of Jesus Christ. So you are representing your company or, or your team or your, you know, Ryan's coaching Little League this year, and, you know, so he's coach of the year in my book, you know. So he's coaching one or two teams. Come on, come out. Two? Two teams. That's what I thought. Okay. Two teams. And, you know, so the reality is, so he's Coach Ryan. So we have different roles and different hats, but every single meeting I walk into, I need to also be thinking, I am here as the royal representative of the king of the universe and of his kingdom, and I have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. And I have the joy of doing the ministry of helping others discover they can be at peace with God. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Wow. So I understand now I have new purpose. I have new identity as an ambassador. I have new purpose as I go into my to-do list that Siri found right in my own phone, okay? But then thirdly, you ask on this, so what do I do? You know, I mean, how do I actually begin to live this out? And I think the main thing I see is, number one, it has to be lived in the rhythms of life. 
I picked up that phrase a few weeks ago from Ryan. I like that phrase. The rhythms of everyday life. In other words, I don't have to make up new activities to uh, be an ambassador. I need to bring my ambassadorship into my schedule. See, there's all kinds of opportunities that life creates. If you just look at life. I mean, there's a rhythm of life coming up next Sunday. What's next Sunday afternoon? Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody else know that? Yeah. Okay. Good deal. How much air pressure will be in the ball? How many? I think it's a little higher than that. But, but the bottom line, it'll be more than it was last week, right? Okay. It'll be more than it was last week. Yeah, so you're going you're gonna to bring a little more pressure. I guess Brady's ball will be 12.5. Okay, but, but the reality is, you know, we laugh about that, but it is a national holiday for this culture. So now if you're an ambassador to a culture and you go visit a foreign land and they have a national holiday, what do you do as an ambassador? You probably celebrate it, right? And you probably go to a, go to a party because you're the ambassador and you want to know that you support what they're into. And so you, you learn the interests, the hobbies, the language of that culture and you engage with it. You don't run from it, you engage with it. Now this is why as a church, let me tell you a little change we made. Uh, we used to always do a Super Bowl party for our church at our place and, and we had incredible barbecue by Dave Smith and it was held right out here and we, we, we had a Super Bowl party, right? Now, Last year, for the first time in, I don't know how long, we canceled it. Why would, why would we do that? Well, here's why we did that. We did that because we realized throwing a party for us to come hang out together on a national holiday in which most of your neighbors and friends are going to be inviting each other to gather together and, and, and have a little party and have a little fun and, you know, and, and enjoy the Super Bowl together. We would rather you be in the world on Super Bowl Sunday than coming here. So if you're not invited yet, make a friend and get invited. Or better yet, throw a party and invite some new friends. But we want you engaging with the culture in the rhythms of everyday life. But to do it now as an ambassador. So get into the rhythms of everyday life. By the way, just this morning, in fact, after the service. Mike, are you going to be outside after the service? Yeah. Uh, head of our men's ministry is out in the plaza with a little survey. And the survey has men's, he's asking the men of the church, what are your top five interests? Because that way maybe we can plan some things around what you already enjoy doing and you can do it and invite even friends that maybe still need to, to get at peace with God to come and have fun with you. Things like golf, softball, surfing, you know, mountain biking, hiking. You know, Mike, these don't fit me, okay? I look for hot tubbing, but it's not on here. Okay, but I'm going to add it next time. Yeah, okay. You know, I, I, I can't surf. I can bob. I can, I, you know, anyway, anyway. But the bottom line is, yeah, we're, so, so there's all kinds of things on here that you could do with your friends, whether they are a part of Seacoast or not. I love that. So get into the rhythms of everyday life. And as you do, you don't have to do it alone. I love these two phrases. Chapter 5, verse 20. Look at our passage. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God... We're making an appeal through us. I love that phrase. So it's God that has to change their heart. It's God that has to bring them to faith. It's God that is making an appeal to their heart. But guess what? He does it through us. I like chapter 6, verse 1. It begins with this phrase. And working together with 
God. Working together with Him. We also urge you to do this. So God is partnering with us, using us, and He just wants us to get into the game with Him. Now, I realize that any series like this, there's a lot we don't have time to cover. So let me point you to our website, because with the help of Matt and some of our tech guys, we now have on the website, starting today, a resource page. If you go to the main menu, and you just go to um, the main menu, we'll have resources and media. Go to resources and media, and then check resources. And up will come our top six or eight books on how to live as an ambassador in the midst of our culture. You'll find everything from my favorite from the late 1970s, a book called Lifestyle Evangelism, which, thank you, God, has been updated. So, okay. But all the way to the latest, greatest, newest stuff that our staff recommended. There's a great little book called The God Conversation by a friend of mine, Tim Muehlhoff and J.P. Moreland, on how to use illustrations and stories to, uh, to share spiritual truth. So you'll see a variety of resources. We'll be adding to it throughout the series Go there and dig deeper. That's my challenge to you. Go there and tell your stories. Text in your questions. Let me share you just an illustration of when I think of what can you do, a lot of times it's just do the thing that comes natural. The thing that God places right in your path. Um, let me give you one. I like to give you at least one story of the week that I think could apply to any of us. Becky and I, a couple years ago, were um, actually still living in Fullerton. So this was probably four years ago or more. And I'm embarrassed to, to admit that for a good juicy illustration, I've got to go back four years in my life. So that's not a compliment to me, okay? It's not that I haven't been trying to be an ambassador since then. But here's what happened that day. Maybe you can relate to it. We're going into a, a place that's one of our favorite little seafood places called the Seafood Grill. And as we're going into the Seafood Grill on a Friday night, uh, it's in August. It's hot. Uh, we approach the door, and there's a young lady, probably about the age of our college-age daughter. Um, and she's by the door. She's reclined by the door on the sidewalk. She has no feet. I mean, she has feet. She has no shoes on her feet. She has no shoes on her feet. She has whatever clothes she has in a little plastic bag from Ralph's under her head. And you can tell she, it's been a while since she had a bath. We kind of stepped around her and went in to eat. And, and God just kind of said to me, Dale, and I don't always do this with every homeless person I said, but God, for some reason that day, said, Dale, I don't think this is what Jesus would do. I don't think he would just step around this girl. So I asked my wife, I said, honey, I, saw, I, said, I really feel we should do something for the girl outside. And she said, what do you want to do? And you want to give her some money or whatever? And I said, no. I said, you know, let's have her eat with us. So we went outside and kind of got her attention. And immediately she kind of jumped up and said, you know, sir, I'll move. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to block the sidewalk. And I said, no, no, no. I said, that's not, I'm not here to complain. I said, my wife and I would like to ask you, if you're hungry, would you come and eat with us? So we came in and ordered some chips and some fish and chips or something and sat down and just had a chance to show her the love of Christ and befriend her a little bit and hear a little bit of her story. And I could tell she was very, she's a little bit emotionally disturbed. And, but we just hurt for this gal. So um, we enjoyed our meal together. And we thought we don't want to just leave her 
And I thought, you know, you're about the same size as our daughter. If you don't, if you don't mind waiting outside for a little bit, we'd like to, would you like to have some shoes? Because my daughter was at UCLA at the time, and I knew her closet. She was not around to stop me. And I knew her, I knew her closet was full of more clothes than she needed and shoes. And so, anyway, the bottom line is we went, and we rummaged through my daughter's stuff. And, and we actually called her up at UCLA, I think, and said, hey, honey, if you don't mind... We're going to rip off a lot of your clothes right now. And she said, that's fine. Anything the girl needs, take it. So we, we needed something to put it in. So we went to her closet. She had, a, she had last year's backpack, you know, because God forbid you use this year's backpack again next year. You know what I mean? You know, because it has to color coordinate with your first day of school. So, you know, the reality is we had last year's backpack and we stuffed last year's backpack with shoes and socks and clothing and underwear and, and some shampoo and some soap and some... And, and a little bit of money, and we said, let's take it to her. So we drove it back, we found the gal, we gave it to her, and she said, I can't believe you're doing this. And that just opened up a very natural opportunity to say, you know, I don't always do this. I probably should, but I don't. But you need to know that the reason I did is I just felt as a follower of Jesus, this is what he would want me to do. And um, we were able to recommend some things about Jesus to her, talk a little bit about Jesus and take her to our church where there was a place where you could get uh, some extra lodging and food and clothing at a a ministry that we were doing. So, you know, it's just sometimes that natural. But what the story gets even better when you fast forward a year later, because one year later, Becky and I was, we we went in, in the same restaurant and the strangest thing happened our our waiter our waiter said you know when you're finished eating can you wait just a minute the owner wants to talk to you and i kind of thought you know if i disturb somebody or something what's going on and the owner of the restaurant came out and she said i've been watching for you to come in again um and i just wanted to come out and say thank you for what you did for that young girl last year. She said, I haven't forgotten it. And she said, uh, I was so glad when you did that because that girl had been outside my door like all day and I felt bad, but I didn't know what to do. And I'm just, I just want to say thank you for doing that. Of course, I'm thinking, lady, you own a restaurant (laughs) and you don't know what to do. But I understand that. It's awkward, you know, you can't turn your restaurant into a soup kitchen and have everybody lining up. And I can understand perhaps why she didn't know exactly what to do. But here's my point on that. When we care about the poor, which was one of Jesus' main things, you're doing the ministry of reconciliation. When you're sharing the gospel, you're doing the ministry of reconciliation. When you're going to Africa, you're doing the ministry of reconciliation. When you're coaching literally boys and girls in softball, football, soccer, whatever, you're doing a ministry of reconciliation if you do it mindful of the fact that you are there as an ambassador of the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the secret to life as a representative of Jesus. And then you just look for what opportunities God opens up. That's what we mean by doing the ministry of reconciliation. Be an ambassador. You are an ambassador. You need to know that. In fact, this passage doesn't say, I beseech you, become an ambassador of Jesus. It doesn't say that. It says, 
we are. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you're a new creature. And therefore, if you've been reconciled to Christ, he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors. Every one of us are a royal ambassador for Jesus Christ. The only question is, are you a good one or a bad one? And that's true for me. Some days, I'm not a very good representative of Jesus. Other days, I have a good day by the grace of God, and maybe God uses me, and and maybe he can touch not only this homeless gal, but notice this. If you want to reach out to your rich neighbors in Encinitas and Carlsbad and Del Mar, one way to do it is to care for the poor and invite them to do it with you and, and let them see you do it. Because that act of love toward this poor homeless girl ended up being an incredible opportunity for us to later talk with the owner of the restaurant. Isn't that interesting how God uses that? So the opportunities are all around us. Just watch for them. Now I want to conclude by a very brief list of one more of our questions, and that is, why should I? And the reason I bring this up is this is one of my struggles. Sometimes I'm not as motivated as I should be to really live uh, this lifestyle of a, of a missionary to my culture. Uh, in fact, can I confess another one of my weaknesses? I'm just putting it out there. Maybe you can identify. It's easier for me to share Jesus with a homeless girl or someone in Africa than it is my next door neighbor. Now, why is that? Because my neighbor's not moving. So I'm, 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 I'm dealing with a relationship that's ongoing. Or sometimes with our closer friends, it's harder. But why is it important, whether it's someone that we don't know or someone next door to us, across the street or across the ocean, why does all of this matter so much? And here's what I see in today's passage. There were, there's, there's some great motivation. Number one, it should be love-driven. It's a love-driven motivation. Chapter 5, verse 14. Look right up ahead of our passage. It says, For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore one died. And it talks about he died for us, he rose from the dead, yah, yay. So the reality is because I've experienced the gospel, I've experienced the love of God, he says the love of God, and it could be translated, compels me to do this. I can't not do it in light of how much God loved me. So let the love of Christ drive us. Don't Don't live this lifestyle out of a guilt-driven thing. That won't last. So if you're just trying to make Dale happy by doing this, that's not going to work. Realize, if God loved you so much as to save your sorry soul, then maybe you should do this too. Number two, it's not just love-driven, it's grace-given motivation. And this is in chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, working together with him, we also urge you, We urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. In other words, don't waste the grace of God. If God gave the life of his son on a cross so you and I can have life, and by grace he gives it to us freely, we don't earn it, then for heaven's sakes, let that motivate you, he says. Because when you receive grace, become a child of God, and then you fail to live as an ambassador, In this language, you've received grace in vain. I don't think that means you lose your salvation or anything. It just means you're wasting 
a great gift. Grace is a gift that is always given to be given away, not just to be hoarded in our spiritual enclaves. Number three, because he says, hey, the time's now. It's the time is now motivation. Because I think, well, okay, I'll do this, but I'll do this in a few years from now when it becomes more spiritually mature. That's when I'll do this. But look at what he says. He says, don't waste the grace of God. He says, for he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. On the day of salvation, I helped you or saved you. And behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. In other words, what he's saying is this, look, when you needed to know Jesus, I brought you somebody to tell you about his grace. Very few of us in this room came to a knowledge of Jesus Christ without some person sharing it with us. God just doesn't drop it out of the clouds. He says, look, if, 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 if when I heard your cry, I helped you, I saved you, I listened and I showed up, I sent someone to you. Now guess what? I expect you to be that someone for someone else. Because in your day of salvation, I showed up. Now, today is someone else's day of salvation. It's always true. Whereas I heard it put one day, today is somebody's last day on earth. It might be yours. There's no guarantees. So don't waste it. Every day is a day of opportunity. Last but not least, it's worth the cost, motivation. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but 2 Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 4, has an incredible list of the Apostle Paul basically saying, yeah, it might be hard. Yes, it may cost you something. But Paul says, hey, here's the short version, verse 9. He says, verse 4, excuse me. He says, but in everything, commend ourselves as servants of God. Do it in much endurance and affliction and hardship and distress in beatings and imprisonments in tumult in labor in sleeplessness in hunger or in purity and knowledge and patience and kindness and the Holy Spirit and genuine love in the truth and the word of truth and the power of God. In other words, look, whether, whether God makes it easy and, and it's great and you, and you get the joy of, wow, God really used me, or whether it results in you suffering, it's worth it, is what the passage is saying. Read it all the way through verse 10 this week. So... Where do you go this week? If you need directions or you need to be reminded of what's on your agenda tomorrow, my advice is ask Siri. (laughs) Or check your smartphone. It's there. And she'll put it right in your face. She did that to me today. But if you want to know how to put meaning into your meetings that can have an eternal consequence, don't go to Siri because she's clueless. That's where you listen to the Word of God. Be an ambassador. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your Word and for how it, um, wow, it just redefines who I am. It redefines why I am. 
and it tells me what to do. So, Father, thank you for sending each of us into our world every day with a bunch of stuff on the list to do. And, Father, I don't pray that you remove those things. Those things are important and necessary in life, usually. But I do pray that you uh, help me, Father, to infuse more of your purposes and your plans. That you use me and use us as your royal representative in every meeting that we attend. And then, Lord, surprise us with opportunity to do the ministry of reconciliation, to bring peace between people and God. In Christ's name. Father, as we give now, uh, Lord, our giving is to support this mission that we've been talking about. So teach us generosity. Teach us the joy of generosity and use every dollar to advance your kingdom. In Christ's name, amen.